Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Ray, and I'd like to welcome all of us to this morning, and also all of you who are guests and those of you watching online. Look forward to meeting you in person. And I'm so thankful that God is blessing our church, that we are one church, two locations here at Kamer Miller, one in Palmyra, Indiana. We're thankful for what God is doing. And today, I want to talk about relationships. As you turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 in your Bible or your smartphone or your tablet or maybe there's a Bible in front of you or underneath your seat there, we'd love for you to look at Ephesians chapter 5 and 6. And if you don't own a Bible, the Bible in front of you in your seat back, that would be our gift to you. Take it home free of charge. Now, as a pastor, I hear on a regular basis about a relationship that has gone awry. Relationships hit all of us. I hear on a regular basis a relationship that has been about abuse or a relationship that was hurt and it caused destruction or a relationship that that hurt somebody. We've all felt that pain, haven't we? Uh, Whether really, really, really small or really, really, really older in age, relationships are a vital part of who we are. And I wish it weren't the case, but I really, truly believe uh, that relationships Uh, destruction are happening on an ongoing basis. And it breaks my heart and it hurts me very, very deeply to watch so many situations happen. But there is a person who doesn't get sad, who doesn't commiserate, commiserate with you. Actually, when you begin to actually jack up your relationship, he just gets revved up, that he revels in your misery. This is Satan, this is our enemy. It reminds me of um, my wife and our two children who they were uh, exiting a a building uh, close to this area and there was glass doors that they would exit out of. And my daughter had told one of our children who always kind kind of trails us all the time, would you please come and make sure you're walking with us as we leave together so she could hold the door for our two little girls. And one of them just didn't want to do it. And so she kind of sits down and begins to whine and throw a tantrum. And so my wife walks out of the door with the other one and kind of turns and faces the door and watches this all happen. The little one starts throwing a tantrum and then hurts herself and then is crying. And and then she realizes that there's no one watching, right? And that doesn't do anything. So she gets up and head down, runs directly right into the door before my wife could open it. And I don't know if you've ever seen someone smash their face on a door before, but kind of like, bam, like that. And then just kind of goes down the door like that. And my wife said it wasn't, she didn't laugh in that moment, but she thought of like when a bird hits a window. Have you ever seen that happen? You're like, oh, you know, that's kind of how it went. Well, obviously my wife was very merciful and kind to my daughter as she smashed her nose. But then later on we laughed. Yeah, we're bad parents. I know you can judge us. Okay. Now the reason why I bring that up is because when you run right into a wall in a relationship, when you smash your face, when you cause hurt or somebody causes you hurt, when those things begin to happen, the enemy celebrates. And the reason why he celebrates is a three, four, 5,000-year-old problem. He's been waging a war against the relationships that God wants for you. You see, there's a physical space we take up, and then there's a spiritual place that we take up. And that, that spiritual place that he takes up and that we take up, there's this war going on, whether you know it or not. And the Apostle Paul, he knew about this war. He writes about this war. He would face his his greatest problems, and he'd see his greatest breakthroughs. 
He would see these things and he would write from jail to the Ephesian church and to Asia Minor to be circulated. He would write about this spiritual war that we're able to, this invisible war, to able to come, overcome. And he writes Ephesians layer by layer by layer until he gets to chapter 6, verses 10 and following. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's this battle taking place in the heavenly realms. There's a war for your marriage. There's a war for your relationships. There's a war for your co-working relationships. There's a war for your friendships. And the enemy wants to take you down. He wants to commiserate in your misery. But the Apostle Paul says, you don't have to see your relationships go down. He says, no, you can stand. Verse 11, he uses the word stand. You can stand on the victory of God that he offers. You can stand on the relationships and truth that he offers you and I. So today, I want us to wake up. I want us to understand that. And and even furthermore, I want us to learn what this looks like in our life. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 and following. Let's read God's word together today. Paul begins, submit. You can underline that that or circle that word to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body." Just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for what you have to say about our relationships. Now may you transform our own life May you transform our relationships. May you instruct us and may we have the courage to follow what you want us to say and do. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. So we read this long passage of scripture and if I could summarize it for you in just a few bullet points, it would be this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And finally, fathers don't exasperate your children. Now, out of those four, which one do you think, ladies, which one do you think is a little bit of a hot button issue today? Ding, 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 right, right? Wives, submit to your husbands. 
Now, we're going to get to that, but before we do, I want to lay the groundwork that this has been a very misconstrued, very abused piece of Scripture. We're going to understand the context and what Paul was trying to communicate. And then, I didn't read the, the passage, but we're going to look at this, how it would affect every single group. It would look at married couples. It would look at children. It would look at family relationships. It would even look at your relationships and your work. So let's go to work together. Let's take a, word, a look at the first word in the very uh, first verse we read in 21. It says this, submit to one another. This word submit, this is the foundation that I want to lay this morning. It reminds me when I was in sixth grade. I was playing left field on my baseball team. And I'm out there in the field and I'm I'm waiting for a ball to come out to me in left field, which doesn't happen very often in sixth grade, okay? But I'm waiting out there, and all of a sudden, something completely shifted in my life. I end up looking over, and I see this girl who's also in sixth grade. And I said, huh, I kind of feel like I need to go get to know her. That's kind of how it went in my head. And so after the game, I kind of just found her name out, learned her name, and like a shift began to happen. All these chemicals and all these hormones begin to kind of do a little bit of something in my body, and uh, something begin to happen, and that happens to all of us, right? Now, my daughters, they're, they're, there's two of them, and they love their, their stuffed animals, they love their dolls, and they, boys, they think boys are icky, and I agree, boys are icky. I hope and pray they always see that, but there's going to be a shift that takes place, isn't there? And when that shift takes place and they bring a boy home, I will have already rehearsed my best Terminator impersonation. But until that day, right, until that day, we'll know that the, the chemicals, the hormones, they're happening. But, and the reason why I say that is because that is the way God designed things. But even on a bigger, grander scope, God has designed relationships to work within the confines of this word that Paul talks about in submission. But we hear this word, submission, and we wonder, well, that doesn't really fit, and that doesn't seem natural, and what are we to do with this word? It doesn't make sense, right? Because our default answer is, well, be first, right? Our default answer is, well, I'll get hurt if I do that. I've already been hurt before. I'm not going to do that once again. I mean, we, we think of things like this. We got to be first. We can't be second. We think of phrases like, well, you know what? If you're not first, you're last, to quote the great Ricky Bobby, Right? But this morning, I wanted to rediscover what this word means. I want to understand and, and, and really build a foundation and theology on this word. So when Paul uses this word, he uses this Greek word, hupotasso, and it actually means to put oneself under the rank of another person. See, we get this sense of sacrificing, that submission is willingly, not someone else forcing you to do it, but you willingly submitting yourself under someone else. It's this unbelievable principle. It transforms your life. It transforms your relationships. It can truly alter the destination of your relationships. And if we begin to understand this, our relationships began to take on the blessed shape that God originally intended for them to look and feel like. So what I want to do is I want to build a two-word phrase for you this morning that will help you understand what submission looks like in your life. You ready? Here it is. You can write this down if you're taking notes. Here it is. Ready? You first. You first. Not me first, 
but you first. That is a biblical definition today of what it looks like to submit. It's a powerful phrase, right? But when we hear you first, (laughs) it doesn't make much sense to us. Why doesn't it make much sense? Well, because everything within us wants it to be me first. But submission is you first. But see, you know what doesn't make sense? It doesn't make sense for God to freely give his inheritance to us. That his free gift of grace would be offered to us for those who would receive it openly. That we get to eat at the table of God's table with him. It doesn't make sense for us to get all that he has to offer, for him to freely give those things to us, for him to give his son to us, for his son to lay his life down on the cross. That doesn't make sense. And so when we see in scope the view of his sacrifice, it it doesn't look as bad or hard. You see, submission isn't submission. Sacrifice isn't sacrifice. You see, this whole idea of living, look, you first, is an opportunity to see a breakthrough in your marriage, in your relationships, in your co-working relationships, in your family. It's an opportunity to see a whole new level happen. Author Jen Wilkins, she says it this way, let our actions shout the gospel. This doesn't mean our words shouldn't, but actions preach louder than our words. You see, great relationships, great marriages, great family units, the the greatest unit that God put together are built on sacrifice, not on selfishness. Now, Jen Wilkins, she is a married woman. She goes on to list, I love this, what submission is not. If you'll follow along with me, submission is not powerlessness. See, power doesn't mean authority. Those who are in authority can have more power, who are under authority can have more power through other channels or influence. Submission is not weakness. Is Christ weak? No, we would not say that. It was his strength under control. Submission is not blind. It is not indiscriminate. We're not ever to support the authority of someone running from the authority of God. Finally, submission isn't an order of authority. If that were the case, we would all try to leave these doors today and we'd all go, you first, no, you first, no, you first. We'd never leave. We'd just have a big line, right? But see, when we begin to live out this idea of biblical mutual submission, it just completely alters our relationships altogether. Often Jesus, he would teach his disciples this. He would say, look, it's not about building your own life. It's about building others' lives. Yet there, after three years of discipling them, they're at the Last Supper. And what are they doing? They're arguing who can be the greater Luke's gospel says it this way, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And then Jesus trying to once again point them in the right direction, he washes their feet. You first, you first, you first. The Bible says it this way, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. In other ways, you first. Then Paul continues, and as he continues, what he's going to do is he's going to apply this principle to every single group of relationships. So you're going to be in this application. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, then what is going to happen here is that God is going to ask you to apply this in your life. If you're an atheist or an agnostic or a seeker here this morning, this doesn't apply to you, but I would hope 
you would see that this will, could literally transform your relationship as well. So Paul, he begins and starts with married women. So here's the only time I'm ever going to tell you men here today this. Okay, you ready? Here it is. You can totally tune out this portion of my sermon. All right, like think about your golf game. Think about hunting. Think about whatever you want. All right, think about the, the meat that you're going to smoke in a little bit. You can totally tune me out. Paul begins to write to women here, and here's what he says. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, Paul's culture, women were treated horribly. It was so much worse than it is today. Let me give you a, a, a real quick snippet. In Greek culture, a, a, a wife's role was simply to watch children. The, the man had concubines and prostitutes to satisfy him all the time. That was the Greek culture. Women were looked down upon as mere servants. And then in the Roman culture of Paul's time, it, it, things weren't even any better. They would hand out divorces like candy. A man would divorce a woman for no reason at all. And so women rebelled in such a way that they would say, you know what, I'm sick of this whole scenario. So they would try to uh, elevate themselves through battle. They stopped having children because they didn't want their bodies to change. And all these things took place. And so in the middle of all this, Paul, in countercultural fashion, he says, hey, you first. You say, to, you know, live this out, married ladies. You first. Willingly put yourselves in that position. Now, this, this passage has been lorded over women for very long, but it's ladies willingly taking the action to see a breakthrough within the confines of a marriage. Okay, guys, you can clue back in, all right? Whatever you're thinking about. Now, eyes on me, ladies, now you can zone off, all right? But guys, this is for you. Paul now begins to take the longest portion of Scripture and the whole thing to deal with married men. I'll let you figure out why he does that, okay? He starts out in verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, this kind of love, it's, this isn't the kind of love that you give to your wildcats or your Hoosiers or your cardinals, okay? This is the kind of love only reserved for your bride and God. He says, you are to emulate Christ. You are to emulate and sacrifice like Christ and like Christ did for the church. The same sacrifice that we see him do on the cross. If you want to do a study of this, if you want to dive deeper into this, this week, open the Bible to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and following, and just look at the sacrifice of Christ and how he emptied himself out for all of us. And then think, wow, that's what I'm called to do. You first. Paul continues to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. If you've never done this before, today it's a great time. You can start it. In other words, guys, live out you first to your wives. And then Paul, he, he then kind of points out children. He says, hey, kids, now this will apply to all of us. How many of us in this room are kids, children of someone? Some of you are asleep. Okay, everybody should be raising their hands right now, right? We're all children of somebody, right? 
He begins to apply this. He says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. See, Paul is saying, look, honor and obey your parents. Respect them as much as you possibly can. Submit you first to what they have called them, you've, been, you've been called to do. That also means no children CEOs. If your parents are older in age, and then it's your responsibility to respect them through giving up of resources and giving up of time to minister to them, just like they may have done to you early on in life. Maybe they didn't treat you right. But I just point back to Christ, that Christ, he, he treated you right when you didn't treat him right, right? And so now we're called as followers of Jesus to, you know what, I'm going to say to my parents, you first. And then Paul briefly mentions the relationship between a boss and a worker. Now, these are opportunities for a breakthrough, okay, to live out you first in your life on a regular basis. And what I want to do in the next few minutes is I want to apply this. I want to get into 21st century nuts and bolts application of what this looks like. And I want to use a couple of uh, different images to do so. And when we begin to live out this principle in our life, the first uh, image that we're going to see us look like and live out is a watering can. It's springtime, and we're definitely some of us who have our gardens and things have used one of these. But when you begin to live out, you first in your life, you become a watering can to the relationships around you. There's four areas where you can be a growth mechanism. The first one is uh, spiritually and uh, mentally and physically. You can be a growth mechanism for the relationships around you. So for those of you who are single, today, more than ever before in our country, there's more single people than there are married people. All of you who are single, young and old alike, you have the opportunity to be a growth mechanism for your relationships. If you're a teenager, if you're a college student, if you're a young adult, if you're an old adult, you can leverage what you have in the time that you have so that you can be a growth mechanism for those around you. You first, thinking of them before yourself. If you're an older adult and you have time and an opportunity, you can leverage those things and pour into the next generation so that they can see their lives transformed and you can raise them up just like someone may have raised you up. But then we're also able to become a watering can for our marriages. To you married ladies, you can say and live, hey, you know what, you first, husband. And you're thinking, okay, now how can I be a watering can to my husband? Well, let him know you're in his corner. Let him know that you respect him. Offer up respect to him, maybe even when he hasn't always earned it. Major on the good things. Don't major on how stupid maybe he has made some choices. If you always major on all the bad things, he's never going to live up to all the good things, and he's never going to truly become the man that God has for him, ladies. You first. That's what your life should look like. The wisest man in the world once said this, it is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. So the word live, it actually means exist. So what the wisest man in the world is saying is saying this, that it's better to live in a desert than with a woman that's always fighting and attacking. Now, I just want to take a time out right now. This is the point in the sermon where your elbows must be really firmly pressed to your side. 
We tend to kind of flare up one side or another when we are sitting next to someone we love. Maybe our elbows can lock in just a little bit tighter, like a football. You're holding a football, right? It's anti-fumble pose. So ladies, love him. Keep his best in mind. Be in his corner. Know that what makes him feel loved, do those things. Respect him. You first. Now, for you married men, say this with me. You first. Say this. Ready? You first. That's right. It's a sacrifice like Christ did for all of us. See, that that Christ loves the church by going to the cross for us, by initiating the reconciliation so that our sins could be forgiven. Husbands, you are the primary servant of your wife. And this can be flushed down in many, many different ways as we're looking to be a watering can to her. Let's just say that she has a really bad day, a really bad day. And she's 99% wrong. She said something, she did something, 99% wrong. And you're 1% wrong. Now, is it a good idea to point out the 99? (laughs) To say you first is own the 1%. Own the 1% and to serve her and say, you know what? This is what I did and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. That's how it flushes out for us. Another way it flushes out to be a watering can for your bride is to romance her. It's to seek her out, to love her. You know, the, the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament, one of the greatest romance books that's ever been written. You can read it. You can look up all these great studies for it. I recommend it highly. But to romance your bride. Now, some of you may say, you know what? I'm not very romantic. I don't know how to romance my wife. I'm just not built like that. Well, that's what Google's for. <laughs> right? You can search out some of those things and romance your Listen to her. Seek her out. Date her. Date her. Because I promise you this, if you're not willing to, someone else will. If we could be men, they would say, you know what? I'm going to be a watering can to my wife, my bride. I'm going to say you first to her. If you remember Ephesians 5, Paul said, wash her in the water of the word. He doesn't say use a water cannon, does he? He he says, be gentle, be kind, love her for who she is. For those in the marketplace here today, and you have a a workforce boss or you have a board above you, maybe you're a, a business owner, but you still have some kind of governing body above you. And so often the case for those of us who have a boss, so often we think, you know what? If I was running the show, we would be double right now. He doesn't know what he's doing. She doesn't know what she's doing, whatever the case is. Now, that may be the case. You may be God's gift to business, but here's the deal. You're not in that position yet. And so the Lord would tell you today to say to your boss, you first. Now, why would you be called to do that? Well, look at John chapter 13. It says this, if I then your Lord and teacher, this is Jesus speaking, have washed your feet, you too ought to wash one another's feet. And we do this because what Peter said in chapter 2, verse 13, he said, for the Lord's sake. Think about Christ in the garden for a moment. There he is in the garden and he's betrayed and his life is about to end. And a guard has got his grips on Jesus. And Peter, you know, all the passion and all the words that he had to say, he whips out a sword, cuts the guy's ear off, and you can only imagine the blood coming out and all that stuff. And Jesus says, stop picks the guy's ear up, puts it back on the guy's head, heals the guy. And he looks at Peter and he says, those who live by the sword, die by the sword. 
Now, why does he do that? He does that because he's telling Peter, we're, we're under the law. And under the law, that means that God has a plan. And you have to understand there's something bigger he's doing. So those in the workforce, may you say you first. To those who have family relationships, for you who are kids or parents or grandparents alike, you can live out you first in your life. And there's a couple guidances for you. I love how one author, he says it like this. There's two governances with our conversations where we can be a watering can. Number one, no criticisms. No criticisms. It only tears down, right? Look at a different translations of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Instead, bring them up with the loving training and teaching of the Lord. And the other one is no comparing. When you compare, you inject an, 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 a lethal amount of negativity into a relationship. So could we be a watering can to our relationships and by saying, you first? The second image that I want to share with you is real quickly is this is a raincoat. This is my daughter's raincoat here. And this is just an image for us to understand that rain falls on all of us, doesn't it? Scripture teaches us this. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, it says, He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You see, every person's going to face a storm. Everyone's going to go through a heartache. And what we can be when we say you first is we can be that first barrier to everyone that we're in relationship with. Taking the heat, taking the the, 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 whatever's coming down. For those of you who are in a single relationship, or those of you who are single and you're dating, how can you better protect the person you're dating? How can you protect your marriage? How can you protect your coworkers? I tell our team this all the time, no gossip, no surprises. How can you say you first and protect the other person? And then the third image that I want to show you today is a globe. You see, when you begin to say you first in relationships, you show the love of Christ to a hurting and broken world. When all the world is saying, you know what, it's me first, it's me first and grappling for power and grappling for this and, 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 and trying to get a leg up, Christ says, would you, would you be the antithesis of that? And we demonstrate his love to the world. Scripture says in 1 John 4, 7, let us love one another for love is from God. But this is hard, isn't it? You know, we, we hear the old song, you know, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. And it's certainly the case. It's more broken than maybe it feels like than it has in a long time. But as the world continues to spin, what I think about is what if we could just soak it with the love of Christ by saying you first. There's so many barriers, there's so many struggles, and there's so much that we've been hurt by and damaged by, but could we have this attitude? Could we ask the Lord to do that in our life? But it's a steep order, right? It's a steep order. 
That's why someone invented this technology. We're actually going to provide for each of you to help us out with this whole thing. It's a little bit of a satire piece for you, but Lifeway Resources announced a new modification kit that allows Christian drivers to hide their car's ichthus fish decal from view at the push of a button. It looks like this. There it is right there. It includes dashboard button for retracting one's Christian fish at will. Want to cut somebody off but worried about being a bad witness? Now you can slap the red button on your dashboard and a small panel will rotate on your bumper, hiding the fish from view, the spokesperson said. So if you ever want to, in traffic on 65 or 264 or whatever, and you want to go on the shoulder like we all want to do, you know what? You hit that button and you can do all you want. It's good. Now, I'm just kidding, right? But what Christ calls us to do is say to you first, you first. But in order to do this, every single one of us has to get to a point where we're willing to trust that God's got it all in control. Because if you don't trust that God's got it under control, guess what? You're going to want to take it into your own hands. And when you take it into your own hands, what's going to happen is you're going to not want to say you first, because you're, you're going to want to control the situation. But if you say, you know what, God, I trust you with this relationship. I trust you with this friendship. I trust you with this uh, co-working relationship, whatever the case is. I trust you first, even when we've been maybe abused or when, even when we've been hurt. And I, I never say to ever put yourself in a situation where you're ever being abused and continue to do so. That needs separation needs to occur. But what I'm saying is maybe we've been abused in the past and we're afraid to, to say you first. We need to be able to say, you know what? God, we trust you. And when we begin to say, God, I trust you, maybe we're able to get in the car on our ride home and we're able to look at our wife or our husband. We're able to look at our wife and say, you know what, sweetheart? I've failed. We need to restart this thing. Could we do it today? Maybe you need to get in the car and you look at your husband and, and you tell him, honey, look, here's the deal. I've been a till of the hun, okay, way too long. And today's a new day. I've blown it. Would you forgive me? Let's start it over. Maybe you're a, a child here today and you've disrespected your parents for so very long. And you've been bucking them your entire life. And maybe you need to go home today. You need to call up your mom, your dad, and you need to tell them, mom, dad, I've bucked you for my entire life and it's time for me to say you first. Maybe it's a coworker and tomorrow morning you need to go to them and you need to tell them, you know what? I'm for this organization. I'm for this company. And as long as God has me here, I'm your best friend and I'm your greatest fan. How can I help you succeed? You first. It's when we do that that we demonstrate to the world the love of Christ and we trust 